At this time, we will read from the book of Mark, and at this time, read Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. The text for the sermon will be the last two verses, verses 19 and 20. Mark chapter 16. There we read this word of God. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away for it was very great. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. The text for the sermon is those last two verses in which we read this word of God. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere.
the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus had reached at this point in history, according to the text, the divinely appointed end of his earthly or goal of his earthly ministry. In the ascension, Jesus was lifted up from the earth in the presence of his disciples, raised up to a certain height above the earth, and the Father sent that cloud again, covering him as Jesus was received and as he went into the location of heaven. And then, as verse 19 says, he sat down on the right hand of God. And although that marked the end of his earthly ministry, or really the goal of his earthly ministry, that did not mean that Jesus had no more work to do as our mediator, that suddenly his work, as the book of Mark, we believe, emphasizes, that his work as our chief prophet and teacher, the prophet of Jehovah, that suddenly there was nothing else for him to do in the rest of New Testament history. And so that today Jesus simply sits there and waits, says nothing as far as his work as the chief prophet and teacher. Beloved, although that did mean that that was the end of his earthly ministry, Jesus continues, although his physical presence is no longer here, his work as our chief prophet and teacher, that continues, although in a different way, in a way which, according to God's wisdom and purpose, is perfect for the making known of the name of Jehovah in all of history as the only God of all of our salvation, the salvation of all of his people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. And then for the disciples, that ascension certainly marked a new phase for them in their work as the ordained and sent apostles of Jesus Christ. The beginning of that phase had already begun, as the chapter shows, in the resurrection of Christ. They learned very clearly that the Lord would no longer be with them as he had been before. He was no longer going to go with them and they with him for another three or four years in this life to be further trained as his apostles before they would be sent out. Instead, they learned Jesus, risen from the dead, be with them in a better way, which according to our wisdom and thinking doesn't seem to be better, but according to God's purpose and the display of the power of his grace and spirit is perfect. There is, is that better way for history and for the gathering of the church of Jesus Christ from the ends of the earth by the preaching of the gospel, that Christ be in heaven at God's right hand and the apostles now go on in New Testament history without the Lord with them. And unto that work, understanding that that was the Father's will, Christ commissioned his apostles 
Verses 15 through 18, he declares, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And then the Lord speaks of the signs that will follow them in that work as his apostles. And having commissioned them with confidence, the Lord ascends up into heaven and sits at the right hand of God. Having, been convi- having then been commissioned by the Lord, what did the apostles do? Our text doesn't give all of the details as we will and you do find in the book of Acts. It doesn't even tell us what happened in the interim between the ascension and Pentecost and the outpouring of the Spirit. But sufficiently for the purpose of Mark in the Scriptures and for the setting forth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the text shows that having been commissioned by our royal high priest, our chief prophet and teacher, then they go. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word which they preached with signs following. We call your attention to that thought this evening under the theme, preaching everywhere the word. Well, notice, first of all, what did the apostles do? Secondly, by whose power did they do that? And thirdly, with what confidence did they carry out that work in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ? Beloved, the apostles fulfilled their mandate simply preaching the word of the gospel. First of all, that means they went forth not to sell the gospel. They did not go forth and decide, well, we'll preach the gospel to those who make themselves worthy of that and then we'll decide to go to that location or to that location. They didn't send out a poll, a survey first, and then decide on the basis of the results of that. That's how we're going to organize our our work as apostles. They did not come to people and scare them and intimidate them and demand that they listen to them. Otherwise, there would be problems. Beloved, they went forth as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ, heralds of the king. They went forth not in their own name. They went forth in the name of Christ, in the model really of John the Baptist, not that they increase, whether it be Peter or Paul or whoever, not that they increase, but that they decrease, and in their work, Christ may increase. And the people may see, oh, these are the mouthpieces of that Lord Jesus Christ who is in heaven at God's right hand. And they are endowed with his authority to speak in his name and even to call us to repent from our sin and to believe in that Lord Jesus Christ. As the heralds of the Lord then, in the second place, that meant they preached with the content, all of their sermons, with the word of their Lord. They did not give their own opinions They did not bring their own ideas to the pulpits where they preached. They did not preach the false teaching of the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the other sects and cults at that time. 
They simply spoke the word of our Lord Jesus Christ, the word of the Holy Scriptures, the word of the Father in heaven. They spoke the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of the truth and the counsel of God, and they preached that truth of the Old Testament in its fulfillment in the Lord Jesus Christ, crucified and risen from the dead and exalted to God's right hand. Included with that exposition of the Old Testament from the viewpoint of its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, they issued, as the Lord had done, the call of the gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Jesus himself preached as follows. Jesus came into Galilee, we read in Mark 1, verse 14, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. As their Lord, so they also called those to whom they were sent to preach, repent of your sins and believe the gospel in Jesus Christ for the remission of those sins and for the hope of everlasting life with the Lord in heaven. Believe that good news of Jesus Christ. Still today, beloved, this is the word which the church of Jesus Christ, whom the apostles represent in the text, the church which is also given that same commission of Christ Go, preach, what? My word. Proclaim my truth. Proclaim my name, the name of the Lord of hosts, the God, the only God of salvation. Preach his holiness, his righteousness, his adorable goodness. Preach his grace and mercy, his righteousness and truth. Preach his absolute sovereignty his omnipotence. Proclaim all of the counsel of God concerning salvation in Jesus Christ from the Alpha to the Omega of that truth. And proclaim that truth of the work of Jesus Christ in obedience to the Father by the Holy Spirit through the means of the administration of the Word of God and the sacraments for the gathering of his church to himself and preach that out of the Holy Scriptures which are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus and preach that still today according to the distinctives of the Reformed Confessions which is the heritage of the Holy Scriptures given to the church by the Holy Spirit over against all of the errors which the church has faced to this day, especially through the Reformation. And when the Lord commissioned the apostles and when the Lord commissions the church, he commissions her to go somewhere. Go, tell, go, preach. And in the text we read, everywhere. That's what they did. Now that cannot mean for the apostles that they preached in every single location in the Roman Empire at that time. 
When we read through the book of Acts, we see they only went to a number of places. And they didn't even get to places they may have wanted to go to. Think of the history of the Apostle Paul. That's still true for us today. Though you and I, as God's people, may want the church, even our churches, to preach in locations or countries among nations and tribes and languages, yet the Lord may not allow us to do that work. The Lord limits the opportunities. He may limit that by limiting the resources, limiting the finance for that, limiting entry into countries because of immigration restrictions or because of the pagan government that hates Christianity, hates Protestant Christianity and the Holy Scriptures and the Reformed faith. And thus, everywhere must be carefully understood here that for the apostles it meant they preached the gospel in the everywhere that the Lord had guided and governed and determined that they would preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 16, the Lord directed the apostle Paul when he visited the churches in Asia Minor, he wanted to go straight west. The Lord say, no, said, no, you've got to go this way. And then he went this way, and he wanted to continue to go north. And the Lord said, no, you must turn. Though he wanted to go that way, the Lord said, no, you're going my way. To my locations, I have, in my good pleasure, determined that's the right thing. That's the perfect way for the church in history. In Acts chapter 18, when Paul was in Corinth, he was filled with despondency, thinking, well, maybe I should leave the city. Ready to pack his bags and head out the next morning, the Lord that night comes to him and declares to him in a dream, no, Paul, I have much people in this city. You may not leave. You must persevere in that work. As difficult as it may be and as few as the fruit may appear to you to be at this time, you may not leave. This is where you must labor. And thus today, still for the church of Jesus Christ, and our churches included, the everywhere of the text is the place and timing of the Lord's good pleasure governed by his will. So that he determines, not mere men, he determines where his word will be preached so that his sheep and his lambs may be gathered to himself at exactly his timing. Text, beloved, speaks then not just of the apostles, but the church of all ages. Through all ages, since the days of the apostles, the church preaches everywhere that word of the Lord Jesus Christ for the gathering of his people out of all the nations tribes and languages of the earth. Along with that preaching, beloved, the Lord also included, especially with the apostles, signs. According to verse 20, when they preached the word, signs were included with the administration of the word in their preaching. These signs were the miracles to which the Lord referred in the commission of the apostles in the earlier verses, Jesus said to the apostles, you will cast out devils. And so it is. 
We find in Acts chapter 16, Paul calls that devil out of that young woman to deliver her from that tyranny of the devil and to bring her into the church so that she might know and be assured she belongs in body and soul to her faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, too. Jesus said, you will speak in new tongues, and so it is. According to 1 Corinthians 15, they spoke in heavenly tongues. You will be bitten by serpents, poisonous snakes. We find in Acts chapter 28, verse 15, when Paul is on the island of Melita, gathering sticks with the other, others who had been shipwrecked on the island, gathering sticks to make a campfire, he is bitten by a snake. But the poison doesn't kill him. It's a miracle. They were even, Jesus prophesied, given the special gift that if they must drink a cup of deadly poison, whether they knew that or not, they would not die. They would put their hands on the sick and heal them, and so it was the apostles, according to the book of Acts, did so. The Spirit, by inspiration, calls these miracles here signs. One of the functions of those miracles, then, is to be a picture to the people to whom the apostles preached of the objects of that salvation which they proclaimed. The objects of that good news, the gospel, are those totally depraved by nature, totally dead in sin, worthy to be destroyed and punished by God, and yet God comes to them. So that in the second place, those miracles were signs of that amazing, divine, almighty, incomprehensible, gracious salvation of the Lord upon those who of themselves are unable and even unwilling to be saved. And to show that among others, these are those whom God has chosen and will graciously save. Bring unto salvation in Jesus Christ through faith. So that thirdly, those signs or miracles pictured the result, the astounding result of the power of that grace to take those who are dead in sin, darkness, and enmity against God, and to make them alive, filled with the light of the knowledge of the truth, able to speak the praises of Jehovah and to bring forth fruits of thankfulness to him in love. The miracles showed very plainly this is the wonder of God to his people in Jesus Christ. Now let's be careful. The Holy Scriptures make clear the relationship between those signs and the preaching. What was that relationship? Were these signs the, the main thing in the work of the apostles? Were those miracles designed and intended by the Lord that they would receive all of the attention and they on their own, that would convince the people to believe? And the text itself makes plain that's not the case. Though later in the history of the book of Acts, Simon the sorcerer would think so. Well, the miracles, those are the main things. That's the main attraction. Why I want to be 
an apostle and to have that power. Still today, there are those in the church world who insist the miracles, that's the main thing. That's the means by which the kingdom of God comes and the church is gathered. It's the miracles and the preaching, but the miracles. We must have miracles still today. The text doesn't allow us to maintain that view. In fact, it rejects that when it says they preach the word with signs following. Following doesn't necessarily mean afterwards. It doesn't necessarily mean that because in Acts chapter 3, when the apostles John and Peter healed the lame man, the miracle came first, and then comes the sermon about what just happened what the Lord Jesus Christ had just done there in the temple. Following refers to the relationship of service that the signs have towards the preaching of the gospel and the speaking of the word by Jesus through those apostles. The relationship between the miracles and the preaching is much like a servant to his master. The preaching is chief. The miracles come as Pictures of that which the preaching sets forth to the people of God. The death and the resurrection of Christ. The work of salvation, the wonder of salvation in Christ for his people and then applied to his people by the power of the Holy Spirit. The miracles made that very clear. And then we understand that that relationship, being subordinate, was also temporary. In spite of the false interpretations of Mark chapter 16 about the continuation of miracles, the scriptures teach that when the apostles died, those signs were finished. While we don't have time in this sermon to go through all the arguments, we can show from the text that because of that word following, the signs were only subordinate and also temporary in their service to the preaching of the gospel. We know that to be the case because the Apostle Paul, also commissioned by the Lord face to face to preach the word, that apostle does not include in his commission to Timothy anything about miracles. When you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Apostle Paul, in verse 2, says to Timothy, not, Timothy, go preach the word and make sure you do the miracles, just like I did. Timothy, I charge you before the Lord, preach the word. That's it. And by saying that, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, is consistent with what he had just written under inspiration in chapter 3. At the end of chapter 3, he had just written the beautiful truth of the doctrine of infallible inspiration, as well as the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures for our salvation. They are able to make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus, they are thoroughly sufficient to equip us unto good works. They have the power to rebuke, the power to correct, the power to instruct and to build us up in the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
In consistency and harmony with that, Paul says to Timothy simply, preach the word. Because when the scriptures which we have are completed, we have in the infallibly inspired scriptures all that we need as a church to carry out the work in obedience to Christ, to go and to tell of the wonders of his grace and mercy. That's what remains for the church today. And through all the New Testament age, since our church fathers, through the Reformation, even today, preach the word. It also applies, beloved, to us in the office of believer. Let's not overlook that. As believers, we're anointed by the Holy Spirit, according to Lord's Day 12, to be priests, devoted to his name and glory, kings, to walk in all righteousness according to his commandments. But don't forget, we are also prophets. To do what? To confess his name. To speak his truth. We must go in our spheres of life, in the marriage, in the home, with our children, to our parents, in the Christian school, as teachers, go and speak in all the subjects that you teach my word. Teach and educate the covenant youth on the basis and according to the word of Jesus Christ. Speak my name in all spheres of your life, day by day. That is our calling as believers. How are we going to do that? Do you have the strength, beloved, to do that this week? Does the minister of the gospel have the power of himself to do so? Did the apostles have that strength, having received the commission of the Lord? Now to go out, sure, we'll, we'll do that in our own strength and wisdom. Beloved, the apostles did not preach everywhere as they were sent in their own strength. Mark chapter 16 makes very plain what they could do in their own strength. After Jesus arose from the dead and the very eyewitnesses of his resurrection come to the disciples in the upper room, they don't believe them. Jesus had to come, according to verse 14, and upbraid them to rebuke them very sharply. For what? Their unbelief. A little later, when Jesus ascends up into heaven, right before he ascends into heaven, they still think that Christ would come to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem, across the valley. Jesus had to teach them, no, of themselves. They did not understand the word of God. Of themselves, they did not have the conviction to preach that word. And the apostles confessed that was the case. Peter explained on the day of Pentecost in his sermon that the witnessing of the 120 believers, even his sermon, as an apostle of Jesus Christ. The reason for this, that you see the outpouring of the Spirit, and as you see it through me, that's because of the Lord Jesus Christ at God's right hand. That's not because of me. When they heal the lame man in the temple in Acts chapter 3, they explain in that sermon afterwards, this is not our work. 
The Lord is working through the word which we spoke to accomplish this miracle. They never took credit for the power of the word which was brought through them in the preaching of the gospel. Paul and Barnabas did the same thing in Acts chapter 13. After a miracle, the people were ready to worship Paul and Barnabas. They said, no, 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 don't do that. And they pointed to the Lord, and the power of the Lord at God's right hand. And so must we, beloved, whether as preachers of the gospel, as a church of Jesus Christ, to preach the word, or as a believer in the office of believer to confess his name in every sphere of our normal life, wherever that may be, the strength to do that is not in me. It's not in you. Of ourselves, we're prone to error. We're prone to problems. We don't always understand the truth and of ourselves could never understand the truth. If we look at ourselves, we see if it did depend upon us, that would be terrible. We're often ashamed to speak the word. Or, worse, on the opposite extreme, prone to speak the truth intellectually, but in pride, in haughtiness, as though we have somehow made ourselves to differ from others who have not been given the privilege to know the truth. Beloved, they preached everywhere, according to verse 20, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. That's how it worked. The Lord worked with them, which doesn't mean that the apostles did 50% of the work and then the Lord did another 50% and that's how the word went forth everywhere, or that they did 1% and the Lord did the rest, that's not the understanding or what the Lord intends to teach by that phrase, that he worked with them. The with them means the Lord accompanied them as their friend who never left them so that when they preached, the Lord was with them as their strength to do what he had called them to do, to say what needed to be said, He gave them the physical ability to go out and to preach and to go to the different places and also the spiritual ability to know, to understand, and with a willing heart and a mind of understanding to preach the word of Jesus Christ. And when doing their miracles, the Lord directed them, this man must be healed in such a way. He directed them, gave them the word to speak, and accomplish that in the one who received the miracle by the power of his Spirit. You see, he accompanied them. He was with them. Not physically, as he had been for three and a half years, but now physically with them by the Holy Spirit in a far closer way he could ever have been physically. By the Holy Spirit, with each of his apostles, no matter where they may have been sent in the everywhere of his good pleasure, the Lord was always with them, 100%. And working through them by his Spirit as the chief prophet and teacher of Jehovah. 
Now it became very clear that the Lord accompanied them. How was that clear? That the Lord was with them by his Holy Spirit. That became evident when the Lord gave them fruit upon their labors. The Lord confirmed the word which they preached by the fruits of their work. The Lord at God's right hand hears the sermons that are preached in his name. Here's the content of that word, and when his word goes forth, as the great sower who casts that word forth, he makes that word accomplish his purpose and his intention with that work, that word and the twofold fruit of the hardening of those whom he has determined in unbelief, but also in the gathering of those whom he has prepared to hear that word and to receive that word by the Spirit and to bring forth fruits of faith. But there's also another way in which the Lord worked with them to confirm that he had sent his apostles and what they were saying, that is true, the truth. And that's the miracles. That's the second function of those miracles, not just to be pictures of the wonder of salvation, but confirmation by the Lord, these men, I have sent. They speak my word. And they produced a twofold fruit. When the Pharisees saw those miracles in the beginning of the book of Acts, they saw what the Lord was saying, and they put his apostles in prison because they hated Christ and would seek to also destroy, if they had the power, his apostles too. Positively, as many as God had ordained to eternal life, The Lord used those miracles to confirm in them true faith in him, to assure them of salvation to them and their households, and to confirm the word which the apostles preached, that that word is the truth. Yes, I am risen from the dead. I am at God's right hand. I am speaking this word of salvation to these sheep and lambs that I have bought with my blood. Does the the Lord still confirm that today? When the word goes forth, does he still confirm the preaching? Not through miracles. Does that mean then the Lord isn't confirming the, the word which is sent forth in the earth this Lord's day? Beloved, the Lord still confirms his word as he goes with his servants With his church in the earth, he confirms the word which goes forth by the very scriptures which they preach and by the blessing of those confessions which the Holy Spirit has given us through the ages and especially through the Reformation. Through the Holy Scriptures, according to the Reformed Confessions, God confirms on your heart your soul and in your mind, this is my word. This is the truth. This is the word of your salvation and that of your seed after you in your generations. And the Lord uses that to bring unto himself and gather unto himself and enfold in his arms his sheep and lambs which he has bought with his blood and gathers them from the nations of the earth from every language and tribe 
and in our generations. So that blessed are ye, beloved, rejoice when you have the word of the gospel declared unto you. God confirms it upon your heart and in your mind. Yes, my chief prophet and teacher has spoken, and by his Spirit, I believe. Believing then, beloved, let us also speak that word. How should we speak that word? As the apostles did with confidence. The confidence that they had to do their work, to go as they were sent, was based upon the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ascension of Christ was the seal upon the gospel that they preached. For we understand that the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ finished, or was the seal of his finished redemption. He would never have been received into the Holy of Holies if the atonement, that is with the blood, using the figure of the Old Testament high priest, if that sacrifice had been in any way deficient or defective. But according to the text, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of the Father. He went right to the mercy seat and could only have done that because his atonement was absolutely perfect and sufficient for all of the sin of all of his people chosen in him and written upon his heart from eternity. The ascension was the seal, another seal, of the Father upon Christ, our covenant head. The work he was sent to do as our mediator in speaking the truth and revealing the truth of our salvation, that work was absolutely perfect and in harmony and true to the Father himself. And thus when the disciples see that, well, Jesus gone into heaven, and it's not like the Old Testament high priest where he went into the Holy of Holies and then came out. He's there. He's not coming until his final appearing. His ascension is permanent. That is, he is anchored to the throne of God's glory in our human nature. We are anchored to that throne of God's glory, to the presence of his glory in our nature. Our justification or our righteousness is everlasting. It's unchangeable. And we have the hope of everlasting life in covenant fellowship with the Father. That is unchangeable. Thus, beloved, the ascension of Christ sealed that gospel as absolutely sure and certain and declared the victory of Christ and his kingdom. He is the victor over the seed of the serpent and the devil. And in his ascension, it is made clear that this Christ, he is the true prophet of the only true God, the God of all truth. The devil is declared to be in his ascension here in the text. He is declared to be the chief prophet and teacher of the lie. But in fulfillment of Genesis 3, verse 15, here is the man, God's man, our Lord Jesus Christ, who stands in his finished work, faithful to all of Scripture, 
appears in the presence of the Father as the truth, victoriously and triumphantly so. And then he sits down at the right hand of God, not among the prophets as though he's another Enoch or Moses or even Elijah who visited him in his transfiguration. No, at the right hand of the Father, to him is given all power and sovereignty in heaven and earth so that he speaks in the creation so that it serves his purpose in the speaking of his word of the gospel and salvation and the gathering of his church and the destruction of his enemies. And from that point of view, yes, the apostles must go forth and preach everywhere. Christ at God's right hand will see to it that that is accomplished. On the basis of that, the apostles received and were equipped with a special gift that they needed to accomplish their work. And that gift was needed in light of the opposition which they faced. They had seen that opposition in the ministry of Christ. They were eyewitnesses to the hatred of the devil against Jesus. Peter experienced that in a very personal way when he said to Jesus, Oh, Lord, be it far from thee, thou wilt never die. And Jesus turns to him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. The devil had worked through his thoughts to tempt Jesus not to go the way of faithfulness. There's the world. For the disciples and Jesus, there was the false church of that day, that Old Testament Jerusalem, which was apostate. And then the disciples also knew Peter very well knew his own sinful nature, how he denied the Lord three times. We also, beloved, know the opposition that we face as God's people. We understand the perils, the threats, the subtleties of opposition. There's heresy, false teaching, wickedness, disorderliness, a disdain for the office of Christ, the authority of Christ in the office of elder. There is our own sinful natures which oppose the truth. The old nature which loves the lie. We have our own pride, our own vain glory, a love for the praise of men, a love for making a name among men. We're covetous, easily distracted by vanity, in the work that we're called to do. And in this day and age, we're in an age where being distinctively reformed becomes and continues to become unpopular. We're prone to dis discouragement. And when we see the fruit of faithful preaching to be very meager, and most of which is rejection, we're prone to quit, to give up to lose hope. When persecution comes, we're afraid of the prison, afraid of the $10,000 fine or whatever the cost may be. We are. We're afraid of being faithful to the Holy Scriptures according to the Reformed faith because of this suffering or that suffering. We need the Lord, beloved, to work in us and need him for the sake of his atonement, which is sealed in the resurrection and declared 
in the ascension and the victory which he has accomplished to work in us what he worked in his apostles, that blessed gift of ascension courage. We need, as the apostles received, to have their eyes opened to see the Lord, not as they did before Pentecost, as you read in chapter 16, but over there in Acts chapter 2, they see clearly now with the anointing of the Holy Spirit, oh, the Lord Jesus Christ at God's right hand. The seed of the woman does have the victory, and in that confidence and knowledge of true faith to, as Peter did, preach the word in Acts chapter 2. We need these hard hearts, hearts which are slow to understand, slow to be willing to learn, to be delivered from that unbelief. And then these tongues, which don't want to talk about the truth as we should, these tongues loosed so that we may go and tell the things which the Lord has done for us and how he has had compassion on us beyond our comprehension. Day after day, an unfailing mercy. God must work in us that ascension courage to know that the Lord accomplishes his purpose through his faithful servants by the word which they administer in obedience to their master, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will bring the fruit, whether negative, but also positive, in the gathering of his sheep and his lambs into his church, into the fold. And we need the courage to know and to be assured that the Lord will accomplish that work in the earth, in the everywhere. He has determined in all of the New Testament, from generation to generation, with a view to his final appearing on the clouds of glory, when his church and the gathering of that church will be complete, with not even one soul whom he has determined must be gathered missing, not even one, not even you. Therefore, beloved, go forward in the confidence and courage of your ascended Lord Jesus Christ. Speak the word in your home, in the school. Preach the word as a church of our Lord Jesus Christ believing that the Lord will confirm the word which you speak. And he will accomplish through that his will, especially the gathering and the building of, up of his church for the, and the hastening of the day of his final appearing. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, grant to us that courage of faith in Jesus Christ, our ascended Lord, we serve him in a word which is victorious, word which shall not go unfinished or undone, but all which thou hast promised, all that is secured in Jesus Christ, shall surely be accomplished. We look forward, Heavenly Father, to the day when we shall also stand in that company of the, of, of the elect innumerable with the holy angels and life everlasting before thy throne and our Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.